Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. And our show today is very special because it is our 100th show and we have tons of fun surprises for you, so let's just get right to it. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. And today is a pretty big day around this studio. It is. Congratulations, Cousin Lizzie. Congratulations, Cousin Dan. Today is our 100th episode. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. It's really cool. I mean, when this started... This was, we were on Dinner Party Download about once a month, and Dan Mm -hmm. and I would leave the studio every single day saying, gosh, that's the favorite part of our month. That's the best part of our month. That is so much fun. We want to do what those guys are doing. Absolutely. This was something that Lizzie and I used to sit around and just imagine and fantasize about. We would say it would be so remarkable to be able to invite a larger audience to participate in the conversations that we get to have every day at work at the Emily Post Institute. We we meet each other. We talk about our lives. We talk about etiquette. We talk about the intersection of those two things. But we also get to do the work of etiquette because we hear about so many situations that people find themselves in. Well, and the show was something that um, my sister Anna had always said, you know, hey, Emily's Big Mark came from doing radio. And Anna was always big supporter saying, you know, like radio would be a great place for us to get back into. And we were so excited when it became a reality that we were going to get to do just that. People often ask, how do you do what you do at the Emily Post Institute? And a lot of what we do is listen. A lot of what we do is follow the conversation that we see happening in the world all around us about what's appropriate and what are the social expectations that people have of each other and what are they traditionally and what are the new ones that are emerging? And it's it's a much more dynamic environment than I think a lot of people imagine when they think about etiquette. And I find myself oftentimes when I'm talking to people saying, well, I've been learning as I've been doing my podcast that people really care about this. And it, it really is a place where where we get to learn and this conversation gets to grow. It's such a great exchange. It's the for me, it's the most perfect exchange that I think we could have with an audience because there is give and take. You see the impact that both parties are having on each other. And that's incredibly exciting. And it's taken us two years to get here. And in those two years, 
our audience, you have really gotten to watch Dan's life change quite a lot. And you've been here to celebrate with him through that. So we thought we'd just walk through a little bit of the timeline of Dan's uh, Dan's life through the show, because you've really shared in a lot of major moments with us. And we wanted to talk about that. It was sort of fun as we went back to look at what 100 episodes of Awesome Etiquette like. has looked like. One of the things that really jumped out at me was show number four, I think, is named Yes, Yes, Yes. And that was Pooja's response when I proposed to her. So about the time the show was starting, I was really planning a proposal. Well, dude, even in episode two, you were planning the proposal. It was episode four where she said, yes, yes, yes. I know what I was thinking to myself at the time. How did we pull this off? How was I talking about thinking about proposing before I actually did it and keeping it secret? It was... um, it was so much fun, those early days of the show. There was a lot of change going on for, for me personally. After the engagement, we couldn't help it. We just, it was such exciting news, especially for the two of us, even though it wasn't my exciting news. To get to share that with the audience was so cool. And then, of course, there was episode 39, which was the wedding episode, and it was such a huge weekend for our family. It really was, and we spent so much time talking about wedding etiquette. Yes. This was that moment where all of a sudden, um, so much of the advice that that is important to us and our business really started to come to bear for me personally. And um, I tell you, I've never felt so connected to the etiquette audience <laughs> as I did <laughs> as I was getting wedding. ready for that wedding. And I, it, um, it started to feel as important to me how you word a wedding invitation as I know it feels to everybody that calls and asks us that question. Oh, I love hearing you say that. Now I can feed you lots of the interviews on weddings and know that you will be fully equipped to handle them. <laughs> when the phone rings and it's a wedding invitation wording question, I tell you, I you get can, the book out. I take it. the time. You're on it. I absolutely do. You had another addition to your life, though, over these two years that has become one of my favorite additions. Don't get me wrong. I love Pooja. I love Pooja so much. <laughs> but this addition really changed our office dynamic a little bit and has been so snuggly and fun. I went back and listened to the show where Pooja and I just got Raju for the first time. I think it was episode late 40s, maybe 48. Excellent. (laughs) Um, Back then, we didn't even know what we were going to call him yet. He was so (laughs) new in our life. I was calling him Mochi. Raju ended up sticking. So little, lovely, delightful Raju is um, our little toy poodle. And what a a miraculous addition he's been. He's been so great. And as he's grown up, he's become the snuggliest little thing. Now when I come into the office, I just pick him up and he leans on my shoulder. And I'm like, I love you. And I get to join you and Benny talking about pet etiquette. Which is so much fun. It's (laughs) an adventure all its own. And then, of course, we had just this year uh, a one-month adventure honeymoon that you went on that was a crazy, wonderful trip. And you actually got to meet Pooja's family in India who weren't able to come to the wedding. So that was really—and your parents were there for a little bit of that trip, too. And we then got you, to visit some yeah. family that had made the trip to the States for the wedding. And I think the honeymoon episode is episode 76, those of you that want to travel back in Dan's life. <laughs> it was very, very cool. So, LP, I was thinking we got to do something to make episode 100 really special. Okay, so we're going to have the the show continue to mark great events in your life at 100. What are you bringing to us now? I'm going to be a dad. Lizzie is just, just shaking with the light behind the microphone. The, oh, I don't want to knock the coffee over. I This is the most exciting news. When you came into the office and told me that day that this was happening, that this was real, that it had started, it was such... I, I, it was such joyful news. It was like your whole my whole heart just filled up for you and Pooja. Well, thank you so much. And 
Um, I didn't think my heart could get any fuller. And it's found more room. And um, as I see your eyes watering oh, right <laughs> now, I've just well, got to tell I'm... you how, how much it means to me to see um, to see the joy that you obviously take in this this development. Oh, my gosh. It's been so much. I live vicariously through Dan. It's been so much fun doing it. But more so, it's to see someone that you care about who you've always been connected to. I mean, Dan is the person that I run to for everything. So to get to celebrate all these moments that we've shared with you and then to be at this point now where I've seen you really change your life and this this was the goal the goal was to get to a place where you were starting a family and it is so beautiful and for our family to grow is an amazing thing and that just it does it makes me feel wonderful anytime our cousins have have shared the news that they'll be bringing another post into the fold and Pooja is so bright and joyful, and I I love listening to her pregnancy (laughs) tales as they've been coming up and kind of riding the wave of it with you. But more so, I think today I'm crying a little bit because it's so nice to share the news finally. It's It's such a big thing. It really is. And um, one of the first things I thought about as I started sharing the news was how how I was going to share this with all of you. And it is something that Lizzie and I have been talking about and thinking about, and it is a special moment, and I'm so excited to tell everyone that I am going to be a father. And I'll share just a couple of details. Do it. We're expecting in January. Okay. And we do know the sex. It's going to be a little girl. (laughs) It's so awesome. I sometimes am at a loss for words, even talking about it, even thinking about it. Pooch (laughs) likes to tell people that I'm the one who's so excited. (laughs) She still has moments where the nerves come and this and that. Well, she's growing the baby. It's a very nerve-wracking thing. For me, it's such a satisfying feeling, and uh, it is such a joy. And it is such a pleasure and a privilege and an honor to share it with people. Um, And it is an honor and a privilege and a joy to share it with all of you. Just like early on when I shared the news about the puppy, we didn't know a name yet. Yes. I want to invite our audience to help me. We are still thinking about names, so I'm putting a great big call out there that I'm trying to, to get as many good idea for baby girl. girl names as I possibly can. So <laughs> if anyone out there has a thought, please feel free to share it. I'd I love thinking, to hear. And know, then we'll share some of the, the top finishers as, okay. as the, the due date approaches. Final thought before we head into our question section. As I was thinking about how to tell everyone about this, I was thinking about how Pooj told me, (laughs) and I thought I'd share that story. Um, She didn't even need to say it with words. I was outside working on the lawn. I I was working. I was raking on a bank, and she came out the front door, and as she was walking towards me, I said, she's pregnant. And... I knew because of the size of her eyes. They were like <laughs> dinner plates. They were so big. She was so excited. And it was... Um, I wish you could see Dan's face as he talks about this. It, w- it was a mask of joy <laughs> and, and, and excitement. I mean, it, it's hard to even describe, but I knew. I knew instantly. <laughs> instantly. And that was just it. But this is a special show. This is our 100th. And actually, we're thinking about doing something a little bit different today. Yes. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. So shall we get started? Let's do it. We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. Well, on every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0866. Zero, But today's questions are actually all going to focus on etiquette classics. We've had 
485 questions answered Ooh. over the course of these 100 episodes. That's a big number. And uh, for that 485 that we have answered, there are hundreds more on all types of different topics and situations and little caveats. And so we really wanted to tackle what we think of are the top five etiquette classics. Our big picture idea is that this could be a real resource show. This could be a show to turn to to get some really practical, concrete etiquette advice about some of the most common etiquette dilemmas that people face. And something to offer your friends when they ask you these questions. So let's start with an etiquette question that dawns eternal, the question about thank you notes. Thank you notes. My grandkids don't send them. (laughs) Do they still matter? Do I have to handwrite my thank you note? What about this shower that I went to where I had to pre-address my thank you note to myself? Can my thank you note be something that is pre-printed? And can I just do a generic thank you note? Because it's going to take so much time to actually describe the gifts from the wedding. Do I send a thank you note for a really good thank you note? Do I send a thank you note for a thank you gift? I mean, the questions are endless when it comes to thank you note. And what about method? Is the is the letter really the best method when I've got a time deadline on this? I mean, come on. I think the first and foremost thing is, yes, they are still important. And yes, you still need to send them. The thank you note really plays into this type of thinking about the importance of gratitude because it's one of the best ways to show that appreciation or show that thanks. In a world where we have so many communication choices, taking the time to handwrite a thank you note is still the gold standard. The the medium becomes part of the message. So the import. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
that we give our thanks by taking the time to write it in our own script, to put it in the mail and tangibly send that message to somebody really starts to give that thanks the significance and the weight that it deserves. I feel like it completes the conversation. Imagine if you were talking to someone and you said, hi, how are you? And they just said hi and left it at that. There's this thing hanging out there that's missing, that feels awkward. And even though you might not be in person with the person who gave you this gift or did this favor for you, um, it can feel like that conversation or that exchange between you hasn't been tied up nicely when you leave a thank you out. Wrapping up that conversation, that that social interaction is so important, but sometimes you don't always know when it's going to end. Are you supposed to send a thank you note for a thank you note? No, you don't send a thank you note for a thank you note, but you do send a thank you note for a thank you gift, especially if it wasn't presented to you in person. So uh, there's another version of this question we sometimes get asked, which is the if someone's given me a gift and I've thanked them in person. Do I have to send them a thank you note? No, you do not. So there are two exceptions to this rule. And those two exceptions tend to be especially little kid birthdays. So at Ah. little kid birthdays, it's a wonderful time for us to teach our children about giving thank you notes, sending thank you notes, the importance of saying thank you for a gift. The other time to make sure that you send a thank you note, even if you've opened the gift in front of the giver, is at any type of shower. So a Ah. wedding shower or a baby shower, which I'm sure you will be going to one soon. Um, I think it's really important. And again, this is the thing where you don't pre-address the envelope to yourself. Hostesses of showers are always trying to look for ways for brides and new moms to not have to do more work. And it's a really valid and wonderful thought. But unfortunately, it really starts to undercut the importance of the thank you note. You really want the guest of honor to take the time to write those thank you notes. And the guest of honor should want to. It's it's part of that act of gratitude that Dan was talking talking about, that it actually, it feels good to write it and to say thank you in that way and to place the importance on it. I have to share one other thing about thank you notes that has to do with something I learned from my cousin Lizzie Post right here on the show. We were doing a postscript about thank you notes and the form and the structure of a good thank you note. And there's a a Mad Libs version of the thank you note that I teach, and I teach it all the time. And it's designed to make writing thank you notes really simple for people. And I'll, I'll share that structure with you here in just a second. But as I was talking about it, my cousin was reminding me how many different ways people write thank you notes. And I love that idea that thanks can come in all kinds of shapes and size and forms and that the handwritten thank you note is still a gold standard, but there are lots of ways to express gratitude and to honor relationships. And it's also important to honor expectations that build and grow in relationships over time. And it's entirely possible that the way that you communicate with someone is through pictures or text or through social media. And if that's the way your relationship has grown and developed and is best honored, It's appropriate to say thank you in those mediums and in those ways. And in some ways, they open and broaden the the opportunities that you have in the ways you can send a a picture attached to a text that shows you wearing that sweater that grandma spent two months knitting. (laughs) As long as grandma knows how to open a text and look at a picture on her phone or computer. Right. I love the day that my godmother wrote to me and said, I never want a handwritten thank you note from you again. Please text or email me because that's how I love to communicate with you. And I got permission to not write that handwritten note anymore. So you're going to honor that. Exactly. Well, and sometimes you want to use technology to your advantage. So like in a business situation where you've had a business interview, you know, for a new job, 
job. They might be hiring someone in less time than it would take for a mailed thank you note to get there. So emailing that thank you to everyone who you interviewed with is really important. You can always follow up with that handwritten note afterwards. When you are thanking in that new communication territory or space, there's a caution that I want to offer uh, before we leave that subject completely, which is be careful about the, the mass social media thank you for things that should be more personal. So if you are thanking people for generosity at a shower or making an effort at a retirement event or party, social media is probably not the best place for a mass thank you. It is both um, a bit exclusionary for the people that weren't invited to that event or didn't attend that event. And it's also not a guarantee that it's going to get to everybody or that it's even going to register with the people that it does get to in the way that you would want it to as a personal and genuine thanks. I want to leave you today with a Mad Libs version of that handwritten thank you note. So the next time that you decide to get your favorite pen out and put pen to paper, that you've got a basic system for writing a thank you note that I encourage you to deviate from as you develop a style that's all your own. But this is a good place to get started. It's a good place to start with kids who are learning to write a note for the first time. So without further ado, when you (laughs) handwrite a thank you note, date it. It's a good possibility that someone's going to save this. There's a good possibility they're going to stick it in a desk drawer. They're going to have a hard time throwing it away. And believe it or not, it might be there a couple years later. And a little date on the top can really be helpful to place that note in time for someone. You want to start with a salutation. You want to use a salutation and an appropriate title. The more formal the situation, the more formal the title and the structure. You can always start a letter or a note with dear. But any sort of acknowledgement of their humanity at the top is important, even if it's just their name. First sentence of any thank you note. Oh, so wait, you mean don't say like dear all. Or you can just put a name on the top. Anna. Comma. <laughs> yeah, just something, not just thanks on a note. Okay, exactly. I'm with, you. I'm with you now. I'm with you. All right. First sentence. Yes. Thank you so much for X, whatever the thing it is that you're thanking them for. The second sentence, I like to tell people, is your only original thought. That's where you have to mention something specific, something that's unique or individual or particular to the thing that's being thanked for. The third sentence, if appropriate, you can indicate a follow-up action or a development of that original thought. Close it with a final sentence that repeats the thanks. Thank you so much again for X. Figure out some other way to just very explicitly say thank you again. Then close with a sincerely and your name at the bottom. The second thank you gets the weight it deserves. It's in the body or the content of the note. It's not used as the closing. The most formal closing you can use is sincerely, but for personal correspondence, warmly, affectionately, with love are all appropriate. In business, I would avoid those. I would go with (laughs) something like regards, best regards are all the best, but sincerely is always appropriate. It's always a safe choice. Very nice. I like to think of my thank you note as not really quick and dirty, but quick and clean. (laughs) And it's just a simple greeting to the person that says, you know, like, uh, it was so nice to see you at Christmas time this year. Then the thank you. Thank you so much for that wonderful sweater. I absolutely love wearing it. And then a nice clothes. I really hope to see you soon. And that's it. So there you have it. Two really solid basic structures for a thank you note. And of course, Every particular note is going to look a little bit different, but that structure can really help as a jumping off point. So it's a little less scary when it's time to meet your etiquette obligation. We hope that that helps you when it comes time to write your thank you notes and that you have a place to turn to for all your thank you note questions. And we definitely anticipate and are excited for more of your thank you note questions in the next 100 episodes. 
Another huge etiquette topic that has emerged over the last hundred episodes, but I'll tell you, it wasn't a big surprise to either Lizzie or myself because this has been a huge etiquette topic since Emily wrote her first book in 1922, and that's the topic of weddings. And more particularly, the question of wedding gifts. When uh, we have our wedding etiquette discussions at the Emily Post Institute, Trisha Post, Lizzie's mother, who is um, one of our treasured resources. She reigns supreme. I would call her Trishapedia because she is, she's her own Wikipedia. She's her own encyclopedia. She's her own pedia. And I've heard her say more than one time that we actually need multiple wedding etiquette books. We need a wedding etiquette book that's for people planning weddings, people that are in weddings, and then we need a whole separate book that's all for wedding guests. So we thought we'd take a little look at one of the most common wedding guest etiquette questions that we get and the question of wedding gifts and how you handle them and what are some of those common mistakes people make and what are the best ways to avoid them. So the very first and one of the largest topics when it comes to wedding gifts is that it is customary to send one whether or not you go. This is the only invitation you receive where you are socially obligated, where it is customary, it is tradition in our society that whether or not you attend this wedding, you send a gift. The things to consider are, A, you don't have to send a big gift. You don't have to send an expensive gift. A very small, very touching, very simple gift is all you need to send. The place that this comes from is that someone has asked you to be a part of what may be the biggest day in their life. They are committing their life to another person. They are choosing to spend their life with another person. And that is a big deal. And they are asking for your love and support on that day because you mean enough to them that they would like you there. And I think that that is really something to recognize. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Recognize and to choose to give a nod, a token of celebration to, even if you can't go. And in a lot of ways, what it does is it says, I do support you and I am there for you. And I do want to commemorate or recognize this day in your life. It is exactly the place that gift giving should come from. A place of, of inspiration and generosity of spirit. And it's so important to be operating from that place. So what's the one time, Dan, where you don't have to send that gift to the couple who's getting married? The obvious answer is <laughs> when the couple has asked you not to send them a gift, when that's been made explicit. Exactly. Either on the invitation itself, less common, <laughs> but happens, or through word of mouth, through a family network, where they've let you know explicitly and clearly that they would really prefer you didn't. You're going to honor that request. Absolutely. And one of the other times is for if you've only been invited to a belated reception, you do not have to send a gift um, or bring a gift. If you have um, only been sent an announcement, and I don't mean to say only like you weren't good enough to come to the first wedding or you weren't good enough to come to the wedding at all. It's just simply that if you've been invited to the belated or the second reception, not the first wedding ceremony and reception, or if you've received a wedding announcement as opposed to an invitation, you're not obligated to send a gift in either of those circumstances. Encore weddings renewal of vows. These are also times where you don't have to. If it's someone's second or third wedding, 
you don't have to send a gift. Once you've been to that first wedding uh, where it's the first wedding for both people, that's the one that, that gets all the big rules. And after that, it starts to, to soften a bit. Do be careful not to take these rules so seriously that if your brother's getting married for the second time and it's the bride's first time that you say, oh, I'm out of having to give a gift. I already did this once. That's really not the spirit that you're supposed to be coming at this with. And and that bride sure does deserve to have a wedding that feels like a first wedding. I know it's a thought that sometimes is out there that if you're not going to go to the wedding, that you're not as responsible to send a gift. Or if it's a destination wedding and you're already going to be spending a lot of money to get there, that you're not responsible for a gift. Right. And that is not true. Destination weddings, you still send a gift or you still bring a gift, depending on what the couple has specified. Um, But I think it's really important to recognize that it doesn't mean, again, that you have to buy a big, expensive gift. You're already paying for a big, expensive trip to go to this wedding. Um, A small sort of token gift or a small gift that's just a gesture and a symbol is perfectly okay. Something that's thoughtful, something that's personal, something that has just a little bit of meaning for the two of you, but doesn't necessarily need to be expensive and it doesn't and here I'm going to dispel another etiquette myth (laughs) even need to necessarily equal the cost that the people throwing the wedding put out to host you. So this is a myth that I have been curious. Who started this one? That the gift should equal the pay. It's called pay for your plate. And here's my whole issue with it. What business is it of yours, what this couple has spent per head on a wedding? I mean, that's ridiculous in my mind. I'm going to go to a, a positive place. Okay, you go to the po- I'll be the one who's shocked. You give us the positive. I think that's the way it's ended up being interpreted. I have a feeling that this idea originally came from what's just a good guideline? What puts me in the right territory? And I imagine that this advice was offered as a way at one point to think of a good ballpark figure, a place to go to shoot for. But it's by no means uh, an obligation. It's not a tip for tat. Exactly. And, you know, that's true of all gifts. We don't give gifts because of what we've gotten beforehand or because of what we anticipate in return. We do give them out of generosity and we give them out of what we can do, not what we assume we have to match, you know. So whenever it comes to gift giving, whether it's a wedding gift or any type of gift, remember that it should always be within your budget. And that is the guideline that you need to set for yourself is it should be within your budget. Another question that often comes up is whether or not you have to buy something off of a gift registry. Oh, right. And you don't. That is really there. It's a suggestion from the couple. It's put in place to guide people that want to be as helpful as possible but don't want to step on each other's toes. Once upon a time, everybody knew the China pattern, and you were in danger of getting six gravy boats if you didn't (laughs) figure out a way to let people know someone already bought a gravy boat. So the wedding gift registry really was designed to ease the social obligation at one point, but it's not designed to place an obligation on guests to purchase off that registry. Right. You can always go off registry and DIY gifts are perfectly acceptable as long as they really feel like good DIY gifts. Some cotton balls on some construction paper, not a good DIY gift, but something homemade, something creative is definitely welcome, especially when it has the couple as the focus. One of the things that gets really complicated when it comes to wedding gifts is there are so many parties associated with weddings. And if you've gone to the parties, do you have to send a wedding gift? If you're go, if you're not going to the wedding, should be invited to the party. It's kind of crazy. But to keep it simple, 
For engagement parties, gifts are usually done regionally. So uh, in the South, it's more common to always show up with a gift at an engagement party. In the Northeast, not quite so much. Um, You can always call your host and ask if gifts are a part of this event, and that'll help you know whether to bring something or not. When it comes to showers... You only receive a shower invitation if you've been invited to the wedding itself. Mm-hmm. The caveat there is office parties. A lot of times office mates are not invited to weddings, but they really want to celebrate the person who's at this joyous time in their life. So it's the one one circumstance where if your office gets together and decides to sh- throw you a shower, even though they're not invited to the wedding, it's still totally appropriate. If you choose not to go to a shower or to a pre-wedding event, you are not obligated to send a gift. But you do still send a gift for the actual wedding, whether you're going or not. So I hope that that clarifies. Pre-wedding parties, if you don't go, you don't have to send the gift. Actual wedding, if you don't go, you still should send a small token gift. The funny thing is, I think we could go on about wedding gifts for a while longer. Eternity. (laughs) (laughs) It's why we wanted to return to this topic. We hope that some of this advice is helpful for those of you that haven't heard us address it repeatedly before and that the next time you're asked to a wedding, you feel a little more confident about knowing your role. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Here, let's try another trick. Dan, the next thing that we wanted to talk about is dining settings and utensils. And I want, let's play etiquette kindergarten here, man. Walk, a, walk us straight through this. So in 1922 edition of Etiquette from Emily Post, her chapter on dining etiquette doesn't look the way most people think it would. It's actually all about planning seating shots and encouraging people to converse with each other. And she has a little appendix in the back of the book she calls Etiquette Kindergarten. And it's about how to hold utensils and how to navigate the place setting and how to set the table to begin with. And it's so funny to me because these are some of the first associations that people have with Etiquette and with Emily Post. And here they are just in the appendix, like the afterthought, like, oh, yeah, yeah, if you need this info, here it is. Like, so funny. Exactly. She was a riot. (laughs) Um, So... Some of the most important things that all of us learned, we learned in kindergarten. And that's certainly true of dining etiquette and manners at the table. So uh, not to minimize the import of etiquette kindergarten. So uh, put me back in kindergarten. Teach me the simple rules. Let's do it. All right. So etiquette favorite for all time. B and D. (laughs) If you take your thumb and your pointer finger and you touch them together at the tips and make a circle. You take your other three fingers and you put them together and point them straight up in the air. If you're looking down at your hands, you should be looking at a lowercase b on your left hand and a lowercase d on your right hand. And this should help you to remember always that your bread plate goes to the left of your plate and your drink or your water glass is on the right of your plate. So this is going to help at all those crowded wedding tables that are a circle and you can't tell whether it's your drinks or someone else's drinks. (laughs) Which bread plate is mine? Which water glass is mine at this 
crowded table. Your bread plate is on the left. Your drink is on the right. The second part of etiquette kindergarten that I want to teach everyone is that if you can remember how to spell the word forks, you can remember how to set a table and the utensils that you're going to set on the table. And this was really helpful for me. I had a lot of trouble keeping my rights and my lefts separate growing up. But I could spell the word forks. So if I can remember that F is for forks and those come first and those go on the left of the plate. Right. We move left to right just like we read. We're moving left to right just like we read the word fork. The O you can think of as representing the plate itself. And that comes next. That goes in the middle. Then the R, we're going to kind of ignore just a little bit. Or we could say it means to the right of the plate. The knives are going to come next. They're going to go immediately to the right of the plate. And then the spoons will follow and go on the outside of those knives on the outside of the right-hand side of the plate setting. So F, forks, then O, plate in the middle. We're now to the right of the plate. You have K for knives and S for spoons. And you've got the word forks and your table is set. Brilliant. And (laughs) if you had trouble keeping your left and your right separate and they bring that napkin out to the table with the utensils rolled up in it and you unroll and you put the napkin in your lap, you can now just say to yourself, oh, I know that my fork goes to the left of my place setting and my knives and my spoons go to the right. So simple. Absolutely. So what's next? (laughs) Let's talk about holding those utensils. Um, One thing that I often get asked is, why does it matter that the fork is on the left-hand side and the knife is on the right-hand side? Well, the answer is that you're probably going to want to use your knife, the sharp utensil, in your right hand, which is for most people their dominant or the hand that they have the most control over. Lefties, switch it. Put it in your left hand if that's the hand you have the most control over. Absolutely. If you're a true lefty, feel free. Use your knife in your left hand. For the vast majority of people, they're going to be using their knife in the right hand so it goes to the right hand side of the place setting so knife in your dominant hand because you wanted your sharp utensil a potentially dangerous utensil under your control and it was just considered less aggressive less threatening not to hold your knife in your hand if you weren't actually using it to feed yourself that's also why the knife blade always points in towards the plate because that way it's not pointed at anyone else another nice little tip So when you're using your knife and your fork together, the most common situation that you're going to find yourself in is knife in right hand, fork in left. You're perfectly okay to cut your food that way and then leave your fork in your left hand to take your bite of food from your plate to your mouth. We call this the continental style of dining. The fork remains in the left hand to bring your bite to your mouth. It's also perfectly appropriate to eat the American style. After you've cut your bite of food, you place the knife that's been in your right hand down on the top of your plate blade in, if you remember that part, and you transition your fork from your left hand to your right hand, and you can eat with your fork in your right hand. For some people, this is easier. It puts the fork in that dominant hand, that more controlled hand. Mm -hmm. And it's also the hand that you're going to use your spoon in, which is also on the right hand of that place setting, because you're not likely to have your knife and your spoon in play at the same time. Right. And finally, so let's say you didn't set your own table and you sit down to the table and there are all these forks and knives. Maybe you're at a really, really fancy meal or it's just a step up from your daily daily meal. How do you know where to start, where to begin, like which they bring out, you know, a salad? Which fork do you use if there's two forks? There's got to be something simpler than just having to memorize what every single utensil looks like and what it's used for. There absolutely is. And this is the sort of the final and easiest thing to remember from etiquette kindergarten, which is that in the American style of dining, the place setting is really a roadmap for the meal that you can anticipate eating, that you're going to work your way from the outside of the place setting in through each successive course of the meal. So for most 
four-course family-style dining situations, you're going to have some version of a soup course, a salad course, an entree course, and a dessert course. So a very common place setting for that type of a four-course meal would involve a spoon on the outside of the place setting, indicating that a soup course is going to happen first. When the soup is cleared, that spoon is cleared with the soup course, and you're left with the next utensil in... And there's no need to count tines on the fork. There's no need to try to decipher or decode which fork is for which course based on how big it is or oh, how elaborate it is. Oh, because you're just moving from the outside in no matter what. All you need to do is work your way from the outside in for each successive course. If there's some special utensil that you need for a course, you can pretty much count on your host or your server to provide it for you. It's not like they're going to try to trick you into jumping <laughs> a course and using an inappropriate utensil. Right. Continental-style dining, oftentimes this is the way it's conducted. The appropriate utensil is served with the course of food that you're going to eat it with. You don't have 10 pieces of silverware out there. It's brought out individually. Not necessarily, right. yeah. Here's a little, uh, another little point of refinement. Sometimes your dessert silver or your dessert utensils are going to be set on the table for the entirety of the meal. Sometimes they're going to be brought out to you with your dessert. If you're setting the dessert silver on the table, this is a question that often comes up. It can go above the dinner plate. And they're uh, horizontal, not vertical, the way they are placed on the sides of the plate with the handle of the fork and the spoon pointing towards the side of the plate that it's going to drop into when it comes time to use it. So you can just slide them right down and they're there. Fork on the left, spoon on the right, because the spoon's handle is pointing to the right. And as you move it down, it's just right there. You got That's it. so easy. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love how much sense the table setting makes. It's practical, and it it's something that as soon as you know it, as soon as you've learned it, you will see it make sense almost everywhere you go. These are some of the manners that change the most slowly. One of the themes that we've really developed on this show is that manners change and evolve over time, and we know that manners for communication change very quickly. Manners for the table, manners for how you eat with a knife and fork have changed very little since the day Emily described them in 1922. They are pretty darn rock solid. What's not so rock solid, though, is when you're dealing with other people's bad etiquette. And this is probably what you ask us about the most. And it's unlike the table setting, which is so clear. It's one of the hardest places for us to be able to give you advice. And we love the fact that through consideration, respect and honesty, we can formulate advice for you. You know, table manners are just that. They are manners. And this, this issue of dealing with other people's bad etiquette, this really gets into the principles of what we deal with and how you're going to choose to conduct yourself and build your life in a way that you feel good about. This really is one of the most essential parts of good etiquette. It is easy to be gracious or it is easier to be gracious when the people around you are being gracious. Yeah. No, <laughs> totally. It, it, it is easier to be at your best when you're being met by people that are at their best, that are cheerful and engaged and considerate and respectful and honest and kind. And that so just doesn't happen every day. <laughs> And it's not everybody's fault. Right. The lack of awareness that we all encounter is a systematic part of our lives, that we, we all habituate actions. We all are incapable of being aware of everybody that we're oh impacting at all times. We're all going to give offense or make mistakes. We project. We assume. We do all these things that then get us into etiquette trouble. <laughs> it happens to Dan and me all the time at the office. It's it's the reality of being human. So the question is, how do you deal with it in a way that can build a relationship? This is what our business etiquette seminars are solidly based on is how, sure, I can write the thank you note. I can prepare. I can dress right for the job. 
But when the human part of it comes into play, how do I best manage and build those relationships to be successful in life, both in business and socially? So the type of question that's going to sound really familiar to all of you, my coworker is treating me rudely. It's disrespectful. My boss is treating me rudely. My spouse eats in a way that annoys me. I've mentioned it and she, he won't stop. My friend, she's 30 minutes late every time we get together. My roommate isn't doing her part around the house or my boyfriend is acting like this and I'm upset with him. How do I handle this? So it's not a question about the standard. The standard is clear. People know what it is that makes them feel aggrieved. The question is how you deal with it. And the framework that Lizzie and I operate from that you've heard us reference even in this discussion already is that framework of consideration, respect, and honesty. They help and encourage you to, and us too, when it comes to our own, um, to really tackle the problem in the moment. And one of the first things that we talk about is don't stoop. You want to take the etiquette high road. That you've heard us say it a million times, and it's one of your favorite phrases, Dan, on the show. (laughs) Give it to me because you say it so well. Two rudes don't make a right. Two rudes don't make an etiquette right. Exactly. And so one of the best things you can always do, it doesn't mean you're always going to get a positive, polite reaction in return. It doesn't mean the problem will be solved, but this is about you feeling good about your own actions and where you come from. So think about how can I continue to behave well even when they're behaving badly to me? We talk oftentimes about etiquette as a powerful, powerful tool for self-transformation. It is uh, one of the most useful things that I can think of as a self-assessment tool. It becomes much less useful when used as a tool to assess or judge or... Accuse. Exactly. Or even try to improve someone else because that's really their job, their business. Usually you don't have the standing to address someone else's rude behavior. You always have the standing to address your own. You do. And one of the best ways to do that is to check your emotions at the door when you find yourself in conflict. Try to really put them into that, you know, compartmentalize, put them into that different place and say, what's the situation here that I'm reacting to? What is it that's going on that I need to clarify? Am I asking for someone's respect or their consideration? Do I need to be honest? And how can I be honest in a way that supports the benevolent truth, not brutal honesty? I couldn't say it any better. (laughs) And because each of the principles can apply. Sometimes it's a situation where there's lack of awareness. And it's not about necessarily correcting someone. It's just about bringing awareness or attention to a situation. Other times it's a question of respect. There's a real disagreement or there's an issue that shows a deeper problem that really needs to be addressed in a substantive or serious way. Often that's when you hear us say, use when you I feel type statements. Mm -hmm. The honesty question I think is critically important because it can be used as such a, a rock solid measure for your own behavior. Can you hold yourself accountable to an honesty standard? Well, and what can you recognize? You know, there's that phrase, the pot calling the kettle black, and you always hear me say, hey, nobody ever said that the pot didn't know it was black. And sometimes letting yourself say, I know that I'm not always perfect in this or that I struggle with this too, but right now I'm really feeling it impact me when it's coming from you. You know, that idea that you can be honest about your own humanity in a situation. You don't have to be perfect to address someone else's imperfection. You don't have to grill them in order for you to get a point across. You can come from a place of understanding and saying, you know, hey, I understand this is difficult and I'm not always perfect, but 
here's the issue that I'm experiencing, and I noticed it was bothering me enough I wanted to bring it up. Those basic principles can be so useful when it comes time to do the thing that you often hear my cousin Lizzie Post do so well on this show, which is develop that sample script. And (laughs) it's something that you ask for from us. And it's one of the things that I appreciate the ask about because I find them really difficult and they are so useful. And one of the pieces of advice that we give is that you can practice, that you can develop language for addressing rudeness and addressing difficult situations. And the practice of having sample scripts, of having language that you're familiar with, that you're comfortable with so that you're able to maintain those high standards when you do encounter rudeness or a lack of courtesy in a world that's that's guaranteed to confront you with those things at some point. One of the last things that we think about when it comes to dealing with other people's bad etiquette is to to remind yourself that you don't have to be a victim of bad etiquette, that you don't have to take someone's bad etiquette constantly. You get to manage the relationships in your life and you get to make choices and create boundaries uh, when it comes to the people in your life. And if you've got that friend who's just never really respecting you, always on the phone, always showing up late, always inviting you to things and then canceling last minute. Eventually, you need to make a decision about whether this person is a good person for you to be interacting with. If this is someone who you enjoy having in your life and you get to set those boundaries and it can be really difficult. We've had a lot of questions about de-escalating friendships recently, especially. And I think that those are the kinds of things that they are real they are difficult and etiquette can play a role in having that happen successfully or simply having it happen in a way that really does end the friendship. But you can at least walk away as we started this segment on with the that etiquette high road, feeling like you stood up for yourself, that you didn't put someone else down to do it, but that you were able to make a choice that was going to be better for your life and, and something that you felt confident with. We really hope that helps the next time you find yourself faced with someone who's not at their best. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thank you for sending us all of your questions. We were able to distill some of them down to some core etiquette concepts, but we plan to get back to your specific situations and scenarios next week. You can send us your updates, your comments, or your next question to 802-866-0860. Or you can reach us by email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. On Twitter, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. our postscript segment we usually talk in depth about a specific piece of etiquette and we've done a lot of this in the past 100 episodes but today in honor of all that time we wanted to show you a little bit of the stuff that you don't normally get to hear the stuff that Hans cuts out those moments that you know maybe aren't so perfect and don't make the show I'm a little nervous about what's about to happen here because no one is perfect. So um, let's ask Hans to join us and see how sometimes this happens. Uh, Hans, it's so great to have you here for our 100th episode, especially because you have played such a heavy hand in making sure that this show makes it to 100 episodes. Woohoo, 100 episodes. Yeah. (laughs) But the thing that our audience doesn't know is that you know the show in a very different way from anybody else because you do get to hear... (sighs) 
those off-camera fights about what etiquette really should be and and the corrections that we give each other and the silly moments where... (laughs) That little burp that escapes onto the microphone. I know, I'm thinking poor Hans. I did have one escape one day and he he just said, that's right in my ear. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. To be fair, I've left my microphone up and burped at you guys. So these are just things that happens because we're all human. (laughs) Yeah, I do get to hear a lot of stuff and uh, we try, we strive to make the most efficient episode that we can, uh, which means a lot of stuff doesn't make it, and it takes a lot of work to get all this stuff done, but we have a lot of fun while we do it, too. So we wanted just to pull something together that shows you some of the things that you don't get to hear and probably will continue to not hear, Um, but just so that you know kind of what we do for the full time that we're in the studio. Well, I love this part because it's like, you know, Dan and I are human, and we're very real humans, and we have very real moments. Obviously. (laughs) Um, So I'm very curious to see what Hans has pulled together. Do we want to hear it? Without further ado. Let's do it. Okay. We have a show to do. Uh, Hans, who took us in last time? Do you remember? I'll do the first one just because that's the way the lines come up. Yeah, okay. Intro. Awesome etiquette. Really? Awesome etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. Ready? Yes. uh, Ready? Yes. uh, Okay, so I'm starting the answer to the first question. Okay, yeah. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette. Yeah, no, and um, do you mind reading this one to me? Because I, I, I'm hoping to... Uh, Not answer the other one? I, you did the good work with it. Cindy yeah. Senning. Yes. Yes. Just give me one second. This uh, might Dan's be emergency. Dan's mother is calling. I just hey like there, to report Hey there, recording a podcast. What's going on? <laughs> really I really, well really love this next question, by the way. So I'm probably going to try and jump in on it. Jump in on it. Let me let me just say how cute it is because okay. I think it's so adorable. And I'm like so gross. <laughs> Perfect. What is this one? Yeah, uh, this one's this one I think is actually pretty clear cut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got I've got great etiquette answers. And I thought you had a so, nice, and then you can do yeah, the perfect. sample script. Okay. <clears throat> You're wrong. Oh wait, our next question. Sorry. Wait, no, you're wrong. <laughs> no, do that once we're <laughs> in. But our next question starts off. You're wrong. Wait, no. No, wait, no you. Have to, you have to I have to interrupt you there. Yeah. Okay. Our next question starts. You're wrong. Wait, no, you're wrong. No, you're. Uh, wait, who's wrong? All right. Um. Um. Yeah, and then... Hold on a sec, let me do that again. I could not have had more saliva in my mouth when that was going on. Like, I was, like, trying not to spit on you. Yeah, 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 I'll just give you a transition. It's time for the postscript segment of... Feedback. What? Feedback. Schnitzels. We love hearing your perspective. And Andrew says, near the end of my grandmother's life, eating... Sorry, I'm just going to increase the font because yeah. I'm having... Wait. Oh, yeah, I'm at 150. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, what would your internal self say, you know, like? Dan's thinking hard. Just so you know, I'm like, I'm seeing the brain. Dan had a lovely set of... Tips, right? Thank you, that's the word. Yeah. Dan had a great set of tips for... So, I'm going to say... so. 
Will you say your? Are you gonna actually say on the? Do you want it to be on the show for next week? I want to add one thing. Okay. No, no, a couple of things. There are other ways to open, but I'm just I'm weighing it down, start to finish. First sentence, Lizzie talked about this before, is thank you, and you could think of it as like a little. No, that's not what I said. You weren't listening. The first sentence is a greeting. The for dear, dear Dan, it was so wonderful to get to see you at Christmas. Dear Dan, I really, truly (laughs) hope that everything's been going wonderful this summer. The way we teach the structure of the thank you note is first sentence is a thank you. That's not the way that we, that's not the only way that we teach it. It's not the only way, but I'll just. (laughs) Should I stop? Yeah. We have decided it's time to test your etiquette skills with an etiquette quiz. You asked for it, and you're going to get it. They didn't ask for it. They didn't ask for it. Sorry, Hans. They didn't ask for it. (laughs) Uh, So, salute. Salute. Is this right? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Click your... I was like, what the are you clicking? Martin, thank you so much for that really well thought out salute. You paint such a, a a visual and graphic picture that I really sorry. Sorry, I, poor Dan. It's not my visual. face it's just, it's reacts so well. every time he uses certain words or does something. He's like, Lizzie, put a bag over your head. No, no, it's good. Martin, thank you so much for that. Yeah, we're, I think we're good with just that. That because, yeah, you don't need it. Yeah. I, th- I think I think I get what you're going for. I think we're good. Ha, ha, ha. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a little bit of what it sounds like in the studio. <laughs> well, welcome to the <laughs> microphones at VPR and American Public Media. <laughs> Oh, gosh, so many starts and stops. It's a lot of stuttering around here. It is a lot of stuttering around here. And I'll tell you, my my biggest thought as I listen to that roll of outtakes is that there are two great big huge thank yous. And we started one today with our incredible producer, Hans Buto. And I also want to acknowledge our sound person at VPR, uh, Chris Albertine, who is also a critical part of the production of this show. And we couldn't do this without the incredible support we get both from American Public Media and VPR, but on a much more personal level from Hans and Chris. And as I listen to what we really sound like in these studios (laughs) and I listen to the shows that come out each week on our favorite podcast apps, I'm I'm really reminded of, of what incredible work they do. So a great big thank you to those two gentlemen. You know, great big thank you is a great way to lead us into our 100th etiquette salute. Dan and I each wanted to take a moment uh, to offer up our own salutes. For me, I truly cannot tell you how much it means to me to hear from you. I receive all the, the questions at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com and all of the comments that you make. I do read through them all. And the the moment where I had to step back and and just really absorb that moment of gratitude in my life was when you all started writing in and saying that the show was making 
a difference in your life, that you were noticing your own behavior being something that you were more aware of and thus you were treating the people in your life with more consideration, respect and honesty. Um, That is probably the most gratifying and exciting thing for me to hear. A long, long time ago, one of my coworkers, Elizabeth, our coworker, Elizabeth Howell, said, you know, people ask me what I do and I say I get to help make the world a nicer place. And she said it in a very joking manner, but the reality is that is what etiquette can do. And to see that um, happen for you just from listening to the show that we love getting to produce so much, I think was one of the most powerful things that I started to experience throughout the show and to, to really feel like it's making an impact and to hear that it's beneficial to you to feel like it makes that difference. It's not just entertaining. It's it's not just something that'll come in and out. It's something that's changing, that's helping make this world a nicer place. Um, that to me is just, that's the best gift I could ever receive. So thank you. Thank you for that. I firmly believe that there's a place in today's media landscape for consideration, respect, honesty, kindness, sincerity, goodwill. And you prove that to me. <laughs> and... It's an honor and a privilege to spend some time with you each week. I think human attention is a gift, and I thank you for the gift that you've given me and my cousin Lizzie and the gift that you've given each other by sharing your thoughts and your questions and your feelings with this community. That's really how we see it. We see it as a community. It's an etiquette community, and we couldn't be um, more pleased to be a part of it. So thank you. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. So thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. On the phone, you can reach us at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And as always, you can help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the incredible Hans Butow, and we truly hope that we get to be with you for 100 more.